Welcome to the Abundant Leap Podcast. I'm your host, Chance Welton. I'm a speaker, consultant, and thought leader here at Abundance.io. In this podcast, you'll discover your strengths, find turnkey business models, and get expert guidance for life's biggest financial moments, where we have trained and consulted over 35,000 entrepreneurs on how to start their first online business, and we've helped existing business owners start their second and third stream of income. You can learn more at Abundance.io, and of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the Abundant Leap Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode on the Abundance.io podcast. I got my good friend Van Martel down here in Laguna at the Beach House. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing incredible. I appreciate uh, the opportunity. Uh, this is going to be fun. And what a beautiful spot, dude. I love, uh, I love emotions. Yeah. Well, I think this is for you. You're the first person that has been here at the Beach House in the podcast. For the podcast? Yes, sir. Dude, I'm your first. Yeah. Oh, honor. Super cool. Just for you, baby. All right. Um, yeah, you've been, uh, you've been hitting the road hard. And I saw that we were both, uh, David Meltzer at office hours. That was a fun uh, coincidence. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, I don't like to leave home often because of the kids, but when I do, I play this game of like, how much can I jam in? And it is, I, I actually like, think it's a master class and just, I mean, I'll start at 7am and go right till 10 and just like, all right, what about this 45 minute slot? What can we do with that? It's fun, but, uh, obviously if you do that for like enough days in a row, it's like, okay. I need to like get back on team, but yeah, it's a bit like back. Right. It's a smart way to do it though. When you can compartmentalize like your travel, because we both have kids. When you go, it's like, you're not with your family. You're not in your routine. It's like, you're not getting your cold plunge. You're not working you're, out. You're it's more just, available too. Right, like totally. people, people, it's funny. Cause like when I travel, like our, this just our Uber driver one, you know, we became friends and we just hired him for two. I landed, he was our Uber driver. And then I was like, dude, I'll just hire for two days to like do this crazy stuff and like on the last day he's like you know mr darren can i text you and i was like you could always text me but like when i'm back with my family dude it's a big ass to distract like i don't have my phone out or whatever but like when i'm on the road it's like chance what are you doing oh, i'm going to talk okay i'm going to come with you like what are we gonna do let's grab these six people and we'll have dinner so it's a lot of it's a lot of fun but it's actually um not a representation of how i would be outside of that environment so wonder if people get upset with me because like once I'm out of the event or out of the thing, I'm a little bit hurt. Everyone's upset with you. We're actually talking about that after the show. Is that what happened? He goes back and then I feel like we're not friends anymore. I know. Just wait till you see me next time. <laughs> okay. I'll make it all right. Yeah, then we get all right here. I feel so good about yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's cool because we met at uh, Baby Bathwater about a year ago, actually, in the yeah. spring in Cabo. And uh, it's been an honor to get to know you and learn more about your business. And we've been able to really dive in deep and help each other on both sides of the equation, which has been really rad. And, uh, I was talking about it with, with David, um, on the show. And I said, you know, it's amazing how much you can grow with somebody if they've done the, so much work leading up to you meeting to where you can just dive in. It was kind of no bullshit with us from day one. Well, dude, I think like I landed at this beach house in Cabo with my wife, Renee, and the first person I meet is you. And you had told Hollis, like, I just didn't speak. I wanted me Dan Cause I think one of your guys had found my stuff online. Yep. Yep. And literally you're the out of a hundred and some people we just like be it just boom you guys be friends and then shared like 15 common things and i was like okay i like this guy yeah yeah we're cutting the same clock yeah it's awesome man and and as we've been building out our SaaS, even super instrumental in that with helping guide the ship there so i really kind of what i do yeah i don't do a lot of things but software as a service sassy people yeah 
You like yeah, this come around me and we'll, uh, yeah, campfire kind of style. It's just, I don't know. I, I started coding when I was 17. It's just, just what I do. It's interesting to see right now. And I know you help a lot of people get into this space. It's just, it's, it's now kind of become a thing, right? Like, I don't know if like you've been doing this for a while, like software is now a thing where it was like super unapproachable before. And people thought it was reserved for like Silicon Valley and the tech nerds and yeah, I just, it's just always my thing. It's kind of cool to get like literally the, the world's top coaches, you know, the, all these people, I'm not going to name them, but like I get to call not because I'm special, it's just because I've been doing it for 26, 27 years. Yeah. It's, and it, it's been great because we've been able to give our students all these amazing softwares to be able to really go and add a lot of value in the world, which like you said, it's not accessible even three, four years ago. No. Um, so it's been really cool for us to be a part of that because with over 8,000 agency students, it, it was just such an amazing bolt on for them to make things a lot easier. Cause back in the day when we were building landing pages, like you had to go find somebody to build to code a one pager. It would take a week turnaround time. You'd spend 1500 bucks, probably building it. Everything's so slow and clunky and then find out if it works. Oh yeah. And then doesn't convert and like, oh, great. Well, there's yeah, a lot great. of people that got to code up the new page. Yeah. Yeah. And then trying to, you know, put, stick it all together with bubble down and daycares and, you know, using Trilio boards and all these different things to try to just get one simple service. And now that we have, we have think it's made it a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. All in one place. So, um, for a lot of the listeners that tune into abundance, you know, they're, they're getting started in their business. Maybe they're starting a side hustle. Can you just take us back to you know, when you were just getting into all this and really starting your business, did you, you know, was the first one a home run? Did you win at your first business? Like, what did all that look like in the beginning? Like what was going through your head? What were some wins? What were some losses? Yeah. So the opposite of what anybody would consider a home run. So I grew up in, um, a pretty dark environment. Um, my mom was an alcoholic. My dad was a home very often, second oldest of four. And, uh, pretty much my mom let us do whatever, like go play in the woods. Like we were having Pelican Wars when I was 12, like I got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11 and, um, and I, you know, just, I was, it was almost like I had too much freedom and I would just get myself in trouble. I was like the bad kid in the neighborhood. The police were already at my house. And, um, yeah, I, I eventually got taken out of my home, just kind of like the anger issues I had and just like how upset I was with my parents, you know, thousands of hours of therapy later, I kind of understood what was going on. But yeah, when I was 12, uh, um, I got put into a crisis center, um, mentioning to, uh, halfway house, I assigned to a foster dad, his guy named Dave. That was a crazy experience. He showed up as like, um, kind of like, a like a, your buddy, you know, like he was, I was his first foster kid ever. Okay, so he's 36, never had kids, decide. So he's like, we're going to be homies. He literally showed, we went to the grocery store and he goes, so what do you eat? And I'm like, chocolate Pop-Tarts and hot dogs. It's like, cool. I said it with <laughs> the straightest face ever. And he's like, looking at me like, right. really? And I'm like, you can call my mom. And he's like, well, no, no, that's cool. $200 later, we walk out with, you know, a cart full of chocolate Pop-Tarts. Man, I got sick of them. I, I was done. Like after three months, I was like, yeah. okay, let's get some real breakfast. You didn't get him a six pack for you? No, I wasn't drinking then. Um... But, you know, I mean, it got crazy where like I convinced him to get us a slingshot because I thought it'd be a good bonding thing for him. And I did. <laughs> He's like, okay. And then he just taking this guy. I, 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 I did. So I didn't, 
You know, he's like it's all for the kid. Like, yeah, yeah, he's like, no, this is good for us. But then he yeah. like comes home one day. He's like, why are all the street lights blown out? And I'm like, there's this kid up the street I go to school with, and he's just in bad, bad too. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I was, um, and then it, the the thing that like for Dave, I think I was probably there for like six months, seven months, and um, we went camping. And on the way to this national park, I knew there was this like small town with fireworks at this convenience store because like we didn't have fireworks in our main cities. And I convinced them to get some Roman candles because I knew that like I wanted them, but I didn't want to shoot them. So we he bought them for us that night. But then when he's like, hey, let's light up the fireworks. I was like, you know what? I'm tired. How about we save them for another time? Appreciate you got them, but like I really don't want them. Dude, two weeks later, he went to like run some errands and left me at the house. I was like, <laughs> where, where are they? And I went to, I found them in like this little crawl space. And um, I'm sitting in his living room with like a butcher knife, duct tape, paper. I can hear the sirens now. Yeah, yeah. That's literally, they came after I almost lit his house on fire. So I'm like doing all this, like cutting a quarter of the roaming candles off and building like the Dan pile and then resealing them. Cause I thought I'll put them back and they'll never know if it was, you know, like 16 inches or 12. And, uh, I hit the candle that I was using to reseal the Roman candle oh into my the pile of like extra powder and the whole thing goes off in his living room. Oh and this God. is a dude, you gotta understand, he didn't have kids. So he had a nice couch, a carpet, right. a library. Like, and I remember I ran into the kitchen where he, under the sink, he showed me a little white, you know, fire extinguisher. Right, right. It, it, it doesn't, that doesn't put out fireworks. Like yeah. I'm sitting there and I like, you know, and I really just made it worse because there's the smoke of the fireworks and then uh, the extinguisher. And dude, I was so nervous. Like A, luckily didn't catch fire. There were, there was holes in the couch, holes in the carpet, like just ambers from the fire, the broken candles. And I just took off and. I think it was like three days. Like it was a it was a Saturday morning, Monday night. The police find me at my buddy's house, and they um they bring me back to Dave's house. And Dave, um, I'm sitting in the back seat, and Dave's in tears. Only he just goes, "I can't, I can't." Breaking God. house. So they uh, they put me into a group home with other kids and criminal records. I'm twelve. Wow. Yeah, and then we're just keeping. Shane, he had been in prison twice and, you know, he's like one of those 16 year olds that looked like a man and was teaching me to shave, but I didn't have facial hair. Like <laughs> it's just, dude, I learned stuff I should never learning as a 12 year old. I right. remember turning 13 in, in the group home and, uh, it was then that I discovered drugs and my life just, it got bad real quick. I ended up just, you know, getting in trouble with you know, hanging around people, folks twice my age, got into motorcycle banks and health angels that would be a And, um, ended up in prison first time I was 15. Wow. Yeah. Got out, promised I would change my life, new group of friends, literally lasted 12 hours. I think by the time we got out and then ring, ring, guys show up. What are we doing? Oh, guys, I'm good. Yeah, you're good. Ha ha. Come with us. And it was just like debauchery and, and like that lasted. But a year and a half, I was about 16 and my brother calls me one day and says, you can't come home and police will wait for you. I had done some, you know, some bad stuff, breaking enters. Um, yeah. And literally my mom found guns and a bunch of stolen stuff in my room and called the police. And when my brother showed up, he, uh, he had around, he was like 14 and uh, 50 since he more white cause it's like underage driver's license yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, he gave me his, the only, he had $63 and. Right. 
Jeez. Yeah. At least. And I stole a car and I went on the run and I was on my way to Montreal, Canada. And I took, uh, I was high and drunk in this car and I took an exit, get some gas, the routine roadblock. And I decided to go for it and told, I told myself before I stole a car that if the cops stopped me, I was going to pull the gun and let them take my life. They went back to jail. It's horrible. so horrible. And, um, ended up coming around this corner of this neighborhood. And I actually had quite a bit of distance on them. I could hear them, but I was like, I felt like I was close and I saw the open garage door. You know, maybe I watched too many, you know, action <laughs> movies. I was like, I'll like pull in the garage and close the door and run up the back. And, and dude, I hit, I hit the driveway going probably 50 miles an hour and she smashed into the house and airbag and everything goes off. And, um, I go for the gun. It was like literally sitting right next to me in this, this backpack I had when I went to porn and that stuff. And I remember just pulling my cost pull up and like being like re like onto the flight yard, onto the car. And I was pulling on it, pulling on it. And they opened up the door and just grabbed me. Like, cause I didn't have my seatbelt on. They just like, boom. And that was there. And I woke up solo the next morning. So the reason why it pertains to being an entrepreneur full circle by the, by the grace of the universe spirit, whatever was oh, there, God. I could not let that freaking gun come out of that bag. I woke up the next morning. I didn't even go out at the time. And I just thought, thank you. And if you help me get through this, I'll do whatever just to be a good person. There's no massive. It's like, I will just be a law abiding citizen. I end up getting sent almost two years in uh, juveniles, but I got sent for the first part in a six month into an adult prison behind juvenile cell blocks. And then eventually when I proved myself there, I, um, they released me to a rehab center called Portage and I did 11, but there, like, that was, the, that was the place for me. And this is why I feel so blessed today. It, it showed me the emotional intelligence side every day. We would, um, it was reigned by the resident. That was their whole philosophy. What makes it different? It's not run by any uh, staff. They were there, but it was actually ran by the peers, right? And you started as a new member middle peer, older member, and then cheap. And the cheap actually wore keys. We're 15, 16 years old. And the keys were all the keys, all the doors to the cigarette box, to the staff office, to the medical office. Like it was just such a crazy environment where they like taught us basic values and our feelings and like every cleanup, we had to partner with another kid and tell us, tell them our life stories. I think about uh, that. Like, I didn't understand at the time I'm like learning like master skills of just being a human, being a person, being somebody that's uh, resourceful. And, uh, it was through that 11 months where I like rebuilt the relationship with my parents and the trust I lost with my brothers did like, holy cow, I was like the worst sibling. And I think your other siblings gone through yeah, both as well. It's a great or, question. Yeah. Kind of one-off firecracker. I think I was the one that caused the most inspiration. And I know that because after I got out and clean and sober, it kind of worked itself through my brothers and my sister, but no, my, my dad always joked like Dan and Pierre, my, my youngest brother, they gave me that money to leave. We'd always do bad stuff. I'd always get caught. Like, for example, like when I was 10, you know, take this snowmobile out and, and like no license, no helmet. We're running around a field and Pierre does that for two hours. I, he comes back, gives me a snowmobile within 10 minutes, the cops see me and I get arrested. Like, like <laughs> just like it was, it was just kind of what happened. And, um. But yeah, so I, at the end of that 11 months, I was helping this guy, Rick, the maintenance guy, um, clean out one of the cabins that was built in an old church camp. Mm -hmm. 
And in one of the rooms was this uh, old 486 computer and right next to it, a yellow book on Java programming. And I never touched a computer book and I just opened it up and for whatever reason, it spoke to me. It actually reads like English, if anybody knows JavaScript, very similar. And I just followed chapter one of this book and I got the computer to say, hello world. Wow. And it was like, it literally became this, it was kind of fascinating because I was never good at anything. And I, I don't know why, but it just was like, maybe my brain is wired different. Maybe I'm like, not, um, I don't make good decisions in life, but my brain is mathematical. I don't know. Nobody's, I never been tested. Right. Turns out that's not true, but it didn't matter. I literally became obsessed with writing code. So when you were doing the drugs and alcohol and getting out of trouble, were you addicted to it? Or was it just something you were just trying to numb out pain? Yeah. Well, I what think that it? is what addiction is. Right. Like, I just don't want to feel. When people ask me, they're like, what drugs is it? It's like every, all of them. Oh, yeah. You got value? I'll take value. Yeah. What do you got? You got speed? Let's do speed. You got acid and mescaline. Like there was no length. Per, like in rehab, they asked, they asked off. I'm like, what was your drug of choice? My drug of choice was not feeling. Right. I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel the felt like no self-worth. I mean, there wasn't even like, I had no self-worth. I didn't feel like worthy of being alive. I didn't feel like anybody cared about me. I didn't think anybody missed me. I didn't, I didn't feel like any decision I made was a good decision. So like, maybe I should just stop making decisions. I mean, I was, I didn't know emotionally what that meant at the time, but like, I was in this like permanent depression and like drugs and alcohol and spending time with people that, you know, praise me for doing crime or helping them move you know, significant amount of drugs was like, you know, I had, I didn't have old brothers, right? Like that, they kind of played that role. And, um, yeah, this is 97, 98 when I, when I got out of rehab and turned out, um, to be a crazy time because I discovered this little thing called the internet. Yeah. And I so when you're saying like the peers were there and like kind of helping you guys, just like people that had already got to the program and they like start kind of leveling up inside of the program. Yeah. So they knew what you were going through. Yeah, dude, it's so, crazy. So they could actually talk to you about like, Hey. I know this is how you're feeling. That's how I felt. You're angry. You're all of a sudden, they could kind of help walk me And through. they tell you your story. Right. Like, this is what's crazy is I learned at 16, 17, the power of positive peer pressure. Right. I learned about getting mentorship from people. Like prior to that, I mean, I did my first 21 day program when I was like 13, 14. Like, I ne it's not like I never, we were in family therapy since I was 11. I get prescribed Ritalin when I was 11 because my parents are like, can't, don't know how to deal with this kid. And so I bracked it. It's like, oh, let's do a test. And you got ADHD, drug him up. Yeah. And I, I refused to take it. My parents would hide it in like the breakfast muffin or whatever. Like they literally would have to hide it. Mm -hmm. And um, then I, uh, I like get to a place where I, f I meet people that have been through what I've been truthfully worse. Like, dude, I didn't, there was some, some trauma that people shared with me in their life story that was just traumatic. And for them to say, like, I get how you're feeling and here's how I got through it and then share their story. I mean, it was, it was such a gift to learn at such a young age. Like, yeah. Portage is known as like, if you're an adult today and you went, you would come back a better human. Like there's just the way the thing is structured. It's almost like based on like human boot camp, right? Now it's so powerful because since they'd been through it, you're, you were open to listening to them. And like only them. Yeah. Every exactly. other one I yeah. judged hard. Yeah. Totally. The therapist that went to university that read a book. Yeah. Zero respect. Yeah. Like yeah. I would sit in a therapy meeting and not physically do that, but check out or pretend I'm doing it, but not do 
Yeah. I mean, that was the way I was growing up, like getting an entrepreneurship and trying to like learn about what I wanted to do. All the people that are telling me what to do, I didn't list, like respect them or didn't want their outcome and didn't want their life. So I didn't listen to them. Yeah. And then started listening to mentors and entrepreneurs and authors that were actually living the life that I wanted to. And then it's like everything they said, I was like tuned into. Change. And especially people like you that had been through trauma, that had been through the stuff that had been through, just like, listen, I've been to the dark side. And I've been working on staying on, you know, being in the light and, and working on this. It's like you've hit kind of every spectrum of experience with emotion and addiction and then now sobriety, being a triathlete and an author and a very well, um, you know, accomplished human being. It's just your story is extremely inspiring. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's why we connected so, so well right off the bat. Cause like, bro, I've been through the emotional work. I've been through the mind work. I've been through the therapy. So it's easy, not easy, but you allow yourself to be able to go deep with people and be authentic. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. When you know people have been in the same cave or hole or whatever, there's just a shared struggle that is a mutual understanding, right? Like it's, and I think that's why like at the top of the pyramid or the tip of the spear, the last mile, whatever you want to call it, like we all know of each other and we all have this deep sense of respect because nobody gets there without doing the work, right? Like people are like, how does all these people know each other? It's because all those people have been doing this so long that you, you're just not at that level without having gone through the business partnership breakups and the uh, banks calling you and the, uh, you know, idea, business idea fail and uh, whatever, whatever. Like there's just, it's very, very rare that there's like, people think it's lightning in a bottle and you just become successful. Right. That's it's not like, the norm. No, that's like 0.1%. The norm is, is I showed up every day and I tried to be a better version of myself than yesterday. And I was willing to humble myself, ask for the advice, to ask where my, my, my flaws were, where my blind And when you're wrong, like, and just- All that, yeah, like, make yeah. a mistake and go, geez, I shouldn't be, like, one of my friends, Wes, says this really well, he goes, if all you did every day was wake up and just reflect on the previous day and say, what's one decision action that I did that I'm not proud of? And then just make a commitment today to not do that. And you just kept doing that. It is one of the, it's essentially personal development, but nobody ever says, well, how do you do personal development? Right. I would argue that's personal development. hundred percent. Expressed. Yeah. Because you just keep eliminating those things and then you just automatically start getting better. And it's just one at a time. Cause I think people get overwhelmed and like, okay, yeah. I got to fix my finances, my relationship, my weight, my mind, my this, my that. It's like, they try to go after everything all at once, get overwhelmed, overwhelmed, shut this down, get stressed out and end up not actually taking action. So I think that's. It in its simplest form, exactly. 365 days a year shots on goal. If you follow that approach, every Boom. day, wake us one thing, nothing massive, but people just don't understand compound interest, compound growth. Right. But like, you know, the other idea is this, it's the people like they stop you and they see you in like the fancy cars or the stuff or on the internet and they're like, yo dude, how did you do this? It's like, it's not what I do. It's what I don't do. Right. I was saying this to our driver in Vegas and he's like, what do you mean? I go, dude, I don't bait. I don't gamble. I don't go and eat at a buffet and try to get my money's worth. Right. I don't sit around and watch Netflix. I don't play video games. Like I don't do things that I know a lot of the population does. So it's like, it's not an additive thing. It's actually a subtractive. Yeah. People, I think that idea people are like, well, oh, I've never thought about that. I keep wanting to add stuff, which feels overwhelming because I'm doing all this other stuff. It's like, no, 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 stop that and do more of this. And that that's actually how you stack progress. Yeah. 
Totally. Cause then when you're keeping it simple and you're removing things, then like that's where you keep, you can really get into deep focus. That's what Cal Newport talks about. It's just like, you have your one thing, you focus on that thing and build from that and like keep all these complexities out of your life. Cause people think, oh, I'm just going to, you know, get into real estate and get, you know, get a bunch of apartment complex and start doing these things outside of my zone of abundance. And now you're distracted and now you're not focusing and now you're adding all this other crap on top. Like at the end of the day, is it actually benefiting your life? Is it actually moving you forward in the direction that you want to be going? It's either yes or no. Yeah. And, and there's no gray area. Stop. If yeah. you did, do more. And the, and the other part is people don't realize that, um, like getting healthier. Okay. So now you, now you, 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 you lose weight, you have more energy. Okay. So I, I like, I did it cause I want to meet uh, the opposite sex, right? A lot of people get in shape right. and they're young. It's like, I want to finally attract that person. Okay, cool. But now I have more energy. Well, how does that show up? Well, I can show up better at work so I can get opportunities. Cool. Um, and when I work out now, I get inspired. Like I'm connected to this. I get this crazy idea. And it's like, yeah, duh. Like, you know, it's called the zone. It's right. called, it's called connected to the universal knowledge. Like it's, it's actually a thing that people don't realize it. Like it's funny when people are like you work out every day. It's like, yeah, but see, you want to work out for the fitness. I work out for my mind. Right. So, and so like all these things that might start off as like a habit for a specific outcome, they, they, they enhance the next habit, right? So the ideation, I'm, um, the network, people that go to the gym are inherently more successful than people that don't go to the gym. So if you're at the gym, you're, you're working on your peer group and you don't even realize it, right? You probably should say hello to people from time to time and ask them if they need a spot so you can have those interactions. But, you know, people that go to the gym every day, like my videographer, Sam, like, dude, his, all his friends are the guys that go to the gym together. Right. And those are inherently people that want more for their life. They're, they're sharing ideas. And I just think like people don't, it, the compounding component of just deciding to be better, it's not linear. It's not like, oh, now I'm healthy. It's like, oh, now you're healthy. You have more energy. You're smarter. You have a better peer group. Oh, shit. I never thought that that would all come from that one decision. Right. Start reading. Okay. So now you're reading, you're acquiring knowledge, but guess what? Now, when you're talking to somebody, you can be more interesting to them. Yep. Because you have experience from the book. Like, you know, one of my mentors said to me, he's got Tim Sanders. He goes, don't read for you, read for your customer. Yep. You know how crazy of an idea that is, but so simple. Imagine it's like you're, uh, you help small uh, chiropractic stores that do their marketing and you could show up as the best marketing agency person. What if you read the top three books that they should have read? Yep. And you show up with that knowledge, you know, like crazy, unique and value added you become overnight for spending 10 hours of your time reading the top three books in, the, in their category. Yeah. Big time. It's, it's cool. Yeah. It's powerful. And then you're building this better, you know, systems and upgrade systems for them and you understand their customers and they look at you as a trusted advisor yeah. and they're bringing you into the real estate deal they're doing because like they're doing this thing with their friend that's super successful and you don't know them, but it doesn't matter. You had an added value for them and now you're in the real estate and life. People, the compounding nature of success is fascinating. You watch I'm 43 now to see it like, you know, felt a little slow at first in my twenties and then I had some success and then thirties. But like now the ability for me to create is probably a hundred oh, more than that thousand times stronger than when I was 20 and a uh, hundred times easier. Yep. Yeah, it's true because success, you're, you're shortening your time, time to, to profit, right? Because now you're meeting people that are like, oh, like I just met this guy, Alex, and he's, his company has like the biggest beverage bottling company on the planet that's so privately held. 
And uh, he suddenly started out oh, as friend had this great concoction idea and they were friends and said, great, boom, it's in 3000 stores. just like that. Yeah. You One of the friends that likes you. Yep. And says, I have distribution. Didn't have to uh, marketing, didn't have to no. like, market yeah, fit. Convince any buyer to buy you. No, just, just boom, there you go. And so when you continue to grow into, you know, create more value in your own life, you're meeting with other people. It just, it speeds that up. You know, like, Dude, I mean, I, and, I'll tell everybody like we met and you said, yeah, we're doing this thing in our business. And I'm like, could you get on a call with my team and show us? Do you have like, I think three or 4 million in our first year from that one idea? Well, you know what I mean? There we go. But, but that, but that's the nature, right? Yeah. I, I just announced our hundred million dollar fund. Like that was a byproduct of meeting a guy named Kevin. I actually coached him for a while. He left his partnership to do something new. Gives me a call and says, do you want to be my partner? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like, again, but, but how does that happen? You have to have knowledge. You have to be likable. You have to, you have to offer Like, dude, you know how many people could have not even a not told me that they have this skill, but you didn't have to tell me like, we're doing this thing really cool. You might've just thought, well, I don't want to bring Canadians. We're the worst dude. We're like, it's funny. I don't know. Like people tell me all the time to like, I did not know that about you. You've invested in 50 companies. Yeah. Intercom was, oh, geez. And you coached who? Yeah. Russell at ClickFunnels and Todd. And what? Like, I just suck at this. Right. <laughs> like, I'm just like, dude, I'm not. And, and it's, and most Canadians to a fault, they're not good at it because they, they have these beliefs. Like, I don't want to be Mr. Braggadocious or whatever. Right. But I don't want to be too American. Yeah. I actually, that's <laughs> such a, ask my wife. I'm like, I think the American dream is the coolest thing in the world. Well, my whole team's at it. Canada and yes, Canada right. saying they're they're like, like very, they're very right. humble yeah, right? totally. to a fault though, because yeah. when you don't, that's why I'm the guy, I'm coming there and you're like, <laughs> let's shine our light, but let's be loud and practice. Let me, give me the good stuff. I'll tell the world about it. Yeah. Which is required. But, um, if you, th there's a whole series of like skills of like letting people know what you're good at so that they, and then listen to see if there's an opportunity for you to offer value. And they crazy idea. If you do it, do it. Some people like say they're going to be helpful and then they, they ghost or whatever. And then through that, almost like goodwill. Yeah. I had a friend once say to me, he goes like, oh, I'm leaving so much money on the table. I go, that's what's goodwill. That, that's technically goodwill. Like right. you could monetize a ton of stuff, but why don't you just not do the thing? And then the goodwill you create by just being helpful is actually the, the multiplier of, of future value. So. I don't know. I think a lot about this stuff. Yeah. And like I said, you know, as you, as you grow and become more successful, you have more network, more tools in your tool belt. Like I've just been asking people that I really respect that, you know, we can possibly do business together. I'm just like, how can I help you? How can I support you? And like, Hey, I need a, I need a funding company for this new deal. Oh, boom. I got, you know, so-and-so over here. Boom. Connect. There you go. Instead of being like, well, these are all the things that I do and trying to make it work. It's like, no, really, how can I help support you? Trying like, to monetize yeah. that transaction. Yeah, because it's like, you know, now pretty much in any situation, if my friend needed help, I could connect them to somebody that could take them there. You're one market or sale. Yeah. yeah, totally. Easily. Um, which has allowed me to build my network very, very quickly. And, and add as much value as I possibly can. Because I like to, you know, give fit first. And a lot of times that ends up coming around at some point. I had a friend that had talked to him like four or five years uh, that made a connection to me. He's like, dude, that completely changed my business. Like, how can I help you? I was like, Bro, I totally forgot about that. That was so long ago. I actually remind me after the show and show you the new Dan AI bill. Like least, like not GPT, think GPT plus you chance. Like literally 
AI. And I share that because my videographer, I was like, hey, reach out to this guy and like ask him for advice on how they do their clips or whatever. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. But why would he want to take the call? I said, well, you're going to add some value. He goes, what value do I have to give? I was like, uh, all of our SOPs, all of our knowledge, like we're not chumps here. We know what we're doing, just offer it. And then I said, oh, actually just show them our AI. It's like, oh, and as, as soon as I gave him the, our thing to, to demo, because any videographer that's working with an influencer has been trying to figure this out, all of a sudden he's getting 100% hit rate because he's leading with value. And through that, it's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this. And if you want access to it, whatever. And then, you know, could you let us know how you do your whatever editing stuff he was asking about? So like, I just think sometimes if you just like sit back and say like, what's the one thing I can become really great at to, to, to lead with that, right? If you're a good closer, if you're a good networker, if you're good and not try to make money from it, right? Like it's funny when I first started off, like in my twenties, I used to think, okay, business is making money off everything. I'm making it. If I'm introducing chance to my buddy, Keith, I want 10%. You know, if you, Hey, if I do this, will you give me 10%? I used to think this crazy, stupid stuff. Yeah. Right. And then I was like, why am I adding friction? Right. Why don't I just come from a place of abundance, knowing that two people that I admire getting together to create more will level up all of us. Like I used to say to my buddies all the time, it's like, can you please hurry up and go be a billionaire so you can get the jet? Like somebody just got to get a jet. I don't care who gets it. Like, let's just, let's get the jets. And then we all get to live this crazy life who like, just go do it. Bring your company. Dude, you go first. You go build, yo, go bring your company public, right? Yeah. Or like, they were like, yeah, Dan, go exit your company. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll do that. You get the jet. My buddy's building a hell, hell of a yacht right now. So like, and it's just like supporting each other without expecting anything. And like, yeah, you're in business. Do that. Like if you're an agency owner or a SaaS founder, like, yeah, get paid to do that. But man, for the people that you just resonate with, just, just get freely. It's, in the Valley, uh, you know, connections are currency. That's like why 100%. Yeah. Connections are currency. And if you have them, you have to honor them and like double blind confirmation. Hey, my friend wants me to use it. Okay. Like just some, there's some etiquette around. And, um, that was like when I moved to Silicon Valley and just seeing that and realized like, oh, like you can, like literally the reason why connections are currency is because the biggest problem somebody has to solve is a who not how problem. Oh, early. Yeah. I know the CTO of Facebook and they know how to fix that spam problem in Instagram and I can make that connection. That's, that's the most valuable thing. Big time, big time. So let's go back to, uh, you started writing code and I wanted to make a good point about it because people that have addictions think, oh, it's a problem. And they just don't have, they're just not focused on the right thing to use that addiction as their superpower. Yeah. Because I have grown up in a very addictive family as well. I've had my struggles here and there. Um, but when I got addicted to health and when I got addicted to business and I got addicted to growing my network and got addicted to growing my friends and my family around me and a good like, vibes. like it was just like, vibes. like, yeah, I did really, that's what I was always chasing was like that next high. But like, if you're just getting better at life, that is that high that you're trying to start and find. And so, you know, I've had conversations with some of my old buddies that have addiction power. I'm like, if you just took all that amount of energy and emotional energy, physical energy, and money that you're putting towards whatever that habit is. If you just focus that on your health or just focus that on starting a business, like it would be all the stuff you're chasing without all the bad shit. Yeah. It's just that two millimeter shift of like, okay, now I'm being, being focused here. Because when you saw that and saw that new programming thing that you're like, wow, this is fascinating. Yeah. 
you took all that energy. And I think from you telling me your story earlier, that that was like a chaining wallet for you. That was, that was everything. There's a ton of people that showed up in my life that definitely believed in me way more than I believed in myself. But what happened was, is most people that go through addiction, they, they replace it. Mm-hmm. And, and most of them, most, they get into like relationship addiction. They right. might be sober. There's actually this terminology in 12 steps. It's like a sober drug. You can actually be physically sober, but show up with the bad behaviors of somebody that's still addicted. Mm-hmm. And that's because they're chasing, they're trying to fill that hole. And usually it's through like a lot of them like caffeine and, um, you know, relationships and, you know, video games or other stuff that aren't illegal, but it's still an addiction. Right. I kind of got lucky that my addiction was something pretty like you it, and dude, I believe in God. Like there's a reason why I discovered coding. And so it's like, I just went, I just allowed myself to be upset, uh, obsessed. And my dad literally, you know, he had to move neighborhoods for me. Cause like, he really was like, okay, hey, we gotta make sure Dan's successful. So he changed where he lived so that I went to a different school and had a fighting chance. Right. Even though I think he always take me with you. He leads me that and said to me, girl, well, he put you in a new environment to have, create new habits. Hundred percent, very powerful, very important. Yeah. Um, and he gave me an unlimited budget to buy computer books, and like said, if you, as long as you finish it, I will buy you the next book. And he just supported that that habit. And you know, you asked me earlier, like, did you just start any successful? Dude, I went seven years with failed ideas. They, and I wasn't a slouch. I was working till two or three in the morning coding. I wasn't messing around playing video games. You asked my brothers and my dad and everybody. I sat there and just coded stuff and tried stuff and played with stuff. And, you know, it wasn't until I was 24. I mean, the reason why people are, what changed? I'll tell you what changed. I never read a business book. That's stupid. I, I wasn't until I was 23, started at 17, six years, read a book. What book did you read, by the way? Love is Killer App. This guy, Tim Sanders, who's become a mentor of mine. So, so, so a lot of people don't know him and the only reason I resonated with it, if you think about software, the killer app is like a technical term, right? And he was the chief solution officer at Yahoo. So like, I didn't read Thinking Grow Rich and all the classics. I literally saw this orange book and I was like, okay, maybe he's got something to teach me. And I didn't even read it. I bought the audio CDs. I just sat there and I listened to it and I was just like, oh my gosh, like I've never it never occurred to me I should read a business book, right? And like the second or third book I ever read was the email. And I was like, oh, this is, this is the thing that I'm missing. Sarah's pies. I'm like, dude, I could like, I listened to it so many times. Like Michael Gerber's voice is like ingrained in my ears. Yeah. And, um, essentially like, I just was like, that's the missing ingredient. I ended up hiring a Hemeth coach. I don't have a business. I'm paying 1500 bucks. American. I'm Canadian. Okay. That's real money. Yeah. Monopoly money. (laughs) Yeah. No business. Right. Working full-time as a, like a programmer contract. And you're working for another company. Yeah. My own contract. My own thing. Freelancing. Yeah. But I was like, okay, this is going to hire Bob. Here's my Hemeth coach. And then him and I are going to figure out what the business is. He's in coaching. And that was the least I, I was smart enough to go like, stop doing the same mistake over and over again. Right. New mistakes only, but not very smart ones. That'd be one mistake, Leonard, as we said. Tried. Yeah. And then, so they were always forward movement, but like I tried and I tried my dad would like, he please get a normal job. Like maybe this isn't for you. Like, you know, and I was like, dad, I'm at least I'm, I'm doing good. I'm not, I'm not back in jail. Right. I'm not using like, you know, let me at least try to figure out this, this lifestyle. And Bob was the reason why my third company finally hit. And we almost did a million the first year. 
and then grew, won all the awards in Canada, won entrepreneurship of the war. We grew a big company, a software company. What and did the software do? It was an enterprise form software. So back in the day, um, companies, their internal websites, all the employees, like the default page to a website that they load on the browser was static. Okay. So if like HO wanted to update a notice, they had to like code update the HTML. Uh, enterprise portals came in. It was like a custom web, a page that you could have like department, whatever department you're in. It was like, it was almost like an application default. So it was almost like, uh, your own custom homepage on your phone. Like you could change the apps around. Yeah. But this is nine, it was 2004. So it was like a big idea. Enterprise portal became like a category, like multi-billion dollar categories. We were the first people to do it. And I only got exposed to it through a friend of mine. So like, I wasn't even that smart. I just, he taught me and I was like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to build these portlets and we're going to integrate the enterprise portals into the backend systems. And so we ended up getting Johnson and Johnson, uh, P and G Dole foods is like fortune 1000 customers as clients. Wow. Yeah. Now, and I'll tell you the story because people are like, how did a 24 year old get fortune 1000 customers? That was going to be my next question. Okay, good. Cause I never showed this story ever. One. Um, I don't do this anymore, but I used to wear a suit and tie every day. So I showed up appropriate for the customer I was selling to. Okay. This is 2004, 2005. Bob taught me this, he had this great story told me. Was he ever hear about the, uh, the office supply sales? So no, he's like, let me tell you about the office supply sales. Cause we couldn't figure out how to sell what we were selling. Right. Bob was smart. Which a lot of companies. So yeah. Separate with that. Yeah. This is like every life. I'm going to give you the principle through this story. So the office supply salesman is essentially a story of this young gun sales guy joins his office supply company and he's like motivated to become number one, right? And he's showing up, he's there early, he's reading the books, he's doing this stuff. He went through all the internal training and he's just not having much luck. He's like doing all the stuff, making the calls. And um, he eventually asked like, who's the top sales guy in the company? And they're like, oh, it's this guy, John. It's like, well, where's John? It's like, he doesn't come to the office. It's like, well, what, what does he do? And they're like, we don't know, but he's the top sales guy. Yeah. Was the last time I say, oh, we say him like once every couple of weeks comes in or whatever, but like, we, and like, well, how does he do it? He's like, I don't know. And he reaches out to John and John just like ignores him. Like a few months later, he gets a, a message from John and says, do you want to learn? And this kid's like, of course I want to learn. Like what's going on? Turns out John's retired. And he says, I'm going to, if you want to learn, meet me at this address at like seven in the morning. I think it was a Saturday morning, seven morning, meet me at this address in the industrial park. And this kid shows up and John's sitting in his car and he just waves him over and gets out his power and jumps in the car with John. And John looks at him and he goes, do you know where we're at? And he's staring across and he's like, yeah, that's, isn't that our competitor's warehouse? And he goes, yeah. What are we doing here? He goes, watch. They watch the truck leave the warehouse and he turns on the car and he follows the truck and he watches the truck drop off all of the office supplies that all the companies that had bought from them. He wrote down their address and the date and he goes, here's what I do. Essentially they reorder every two weeks in 10 days and give them a call because I know that they need more products. Wow. And he, Bob tells me this. Yeah. And I go, so essentially I need to figure out which companies have the pain of an enterprise port, right? So here's what I do. It took me a while. So it took me probably like two months to figure this out. 
And what I realized is that anybody that spends millions of dollars buying these enterprise portals are first going to build a team inside their company. So I created 15 different fake resumes of the types of people you would hire to deploy this software. And all the numbers and emails went to Dan. It was literally on Dice.com and Career Beacon and Monster. There was like all these like senior portal architect and see like literally with all these like fake people. And it came to my email and my phone. And when my phone would ring, I'd say, Dan speaking. And they go, oh, I was looking for Jane. And I go, oh, Jane's on my team. She's actually on vacation this week. But she asked to forward her phone to mine so that I'm, are you looking? And I knew Jane was the, the, the lead developer. So I was like, are you guys looking for a lead portal developer? The absolutely. I said, perfect. Our firms helps people do this. And that was the in to then get the contract to actually build the whole thing on the back end. Wow. And I never told anybody that I did this because obviously like it's one of those things, it's a growth hack that only works if nobody does it. Right. So I didn't, this is probably the first time I've ever shared that publicly with anybody. You were saying that for the abundance podcast. hundred percent. That was why I wrote it down. I was like, I'll pay <laughs> that one for chance. Um, but I share that because like literally if, if you and I got into business selling the sliding door windows, that first question I would say is who has, who, who are we selling to? Who has influence to that customer? How do I insert myself in the sales conversation? Yep. Chocolate peanut butter, like or chocolate broccoli. I want to know who's got the pain and the desire, and then I'm going to give them what they need, which is my product, but I need them to be, see, a lot of people try to sell stuff to people that don't, that aren't in market. Yeah. Like on product market fit. No, no, it's like, don't, you don't sell stuff to every business owner. You sell stuff to a type of business that is at a certain size, has a certain problem. And you show them an offer that is the chocolate, that's desirable, the thing they want. And then once they're in, then you give them what they need and they'll thank you for it. But if you try to leave the thing that they need, but they don't want, you have a disconnect. Big time. And then that's why we talk about niching down so much inside of abundance, whether you're in our e-com platform or the SaaS platform, or it's like understand your niche and then go down deep inside of the niche. Right? I feel like uncom- uncomfortably narrow. Yes. You have to be so narrow that you think it's dumb yep. that you're that focused. Like in software, I would tell my clients, like, you need to sell to flower shops on the East Coast. They're like, why just the East Coast? Start there. Right. Right. And go to New Jersey and go to Maine and like build it. Every flower shop on the East Coast eventually becomes a customer. Then you work your way out from there. But trying to be everything to everybody and deal multiple time zones and different business types, like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be chocolate. You're just gonna be broccoli. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking with a guy that was on the heli ski trip with us and he created a software for landscapers just in Canada and they're crushing it. Just in Canada. Just in Canada. And, and just like, for landscapers and just for a specific type, type of, of a landscaping company. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the fun part is maybe with a month of development, they could become non-landscape. With two months of developing, they could enter the U.S. market. Like for sure, that's what people they have a hard time with the concept of niche, especially if they're starting off in business, because they're worried that there won't be enough opportunity. And anybody like us that's been doing this long enough, we say no ninety-eight percent of the time to the opportunity. Yeah. So it's like it's that scarcity versus abundance mindset, and just trust the process. Like you'll never meet. Like and people even say in the software world, they're like, "Well, what about Facebook? Do you know Facebook started with one college?" Harvard, like you couldn't even sign up for it unless you had Harvard Eats. People forget what the early days of these companies they admire actually look like. They only see the success story right. and they try to pattern match after 15 years of success. No, 
go all the way back to the beginning. RX Bar started with CrossFit gyms. Okay. And they, yes, they sold for $300 million bootstrap, you know, bar company, which is unheard of, but they understood where their, their niche. And my buddy says, you got to find your vegans, right? You got to <laughs> find your, your core <laughs> raving fans yep. that are, that, that you speak to and you acknowledge and they, they get your product and it feels aligned. And then that will create essentially the, the, the bowling pin strategy, which is nail that first pin, that uncomfortably narrow niche and then go, I call them close cousins, like second pin, third pin, fourth, fifth. But that's a strategic thing. Yeah, big time. I mean, you, you look at a lot of the, you know, some of the biggest successful companies that did a lot of the bootstrapping or just had massive growth. It was starting with a niche because you really can understand your customers. Because when we have students come in and are starting their business, I'm saying like, well, what industry do you understand? Where did you come from? Do you have an uncle that was a, that was a, you know, cosmetic surgeon? Did you go to dental school? Like where you meet? Yes. Experience. Yes. Because then you can connect with them. Like the story, the marketing, the, 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 the pain point. It's, it's unique. Even the word, I, I think about this, like the word custom. Okay. A gym doesn't call them a customer. They call them a member. Correct. You know, a doctor calls them a client. Like you have like patients. Yeah. Uh, patients. Yes. Exactly. It's like, so even the word customer per industry is different. Yes. And that's the nuance that first time entrepreneurs don't get is so important to being relevant and differentiating. Yeah. Because like if, you know, when you're trying to land, let's just say you're trying to land, uh, doctors as clients and you're saying, Hey, I'm going to get you 15 new customers. Like that's not going to resonate. No, like, I don't care about customers. What is that? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah. 15 new members. Yeah. yeah. New members. Uh, what? Huh? Yeah. But when you're talking about 15 new patients, no, nose implant patients or whatever, breast yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Exactly. And they're like, yeah, cool. Let's talk. Yeah. Boom. It's, it's straight to me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's so true. It's power in that. It, it is. is. And even like, you know, people are like, well, how do you get your first customers? I don't know if you guys teach this, but it's literally, you offer what you do for free to get the testimonial. Yes. Like, I hope everybody understands that. Just do the thing that you would do for the right ones. Pick your niche and say, hey, we're only going to do three and I'm calling 10 today and we're going to come in, cost you nothing. All I ask is that if we absolutely knock it out of the park for you, that you'll allow us to put your name and logo on our website. Yeah. Easy. And that's it. And guess what? They're going to refer their friends. If you knock it out of the park at whatever thing you do for that, they're going to go like, that was the best experience ever. Hey, Mike, Mike, go to the same shop as me. Like, hey, go do it for Mike. And you know, what, what it costs you? I got a bro deal, but Mike, you should hate them. They're great. Yeah. It's like business is not hard. No. Cause we have like a, they can give a, a free 14 age free trial on the software. They get, you know, Google reviews bill. They get a website. They get, you know, on average, these local business owners will close anywhere from 15 to 20% extra. Cause all their leads are in one place, yeah. not on a notepad on the desk. They're yeah. not in lost in the somewhere. And, and like they're closing the 80, 90% will move on to the $400 a month plan. And then but, two months later, they're moving on to the, but free sauce of the soul. Right. Like, like, like this is does. the thing is you, you, you just said 14 HR and like people are like, yeah, I get this free thing. It's like, no thanks. It's literally you're, I'm a, as an, as a buyer, I'm allergic to free. Right. I don't want free. I actually will. Not I, want, I want value. I want value. Yeah. So free scares me because it makes me think you don't value what you think. And, and the reason why is because they led with that. That's not what you lead with. You lead with, Hey, do you have this problem? Like chance, the, the AI thing, it's like, Hey, do you have a problem with people asking you the same question over and over again that you know, you've already answered. And it would be great if you could just take everything you've ever said on video and make that available to your, your internal customer. Yeah. Do you have that problem? Yes. Yeah. See, now I get to talk about the other stuff. Right. You, most people don't realize that like in business, your first job would be like verifying they have a problem. 
And if they say, no, I don't even have internal videos reported that you could do anything with. Stop talking, go right. find the person. Right. Like it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like getting really good at asking the questions to ver validate and qualify. And then just know, like a lot of times on my coaching calls, sometimes I get a little like, oh guys, this is, you guys are just taking the long route and I'll pick up the phone and I'll cold call on the call. And there'll be hundreds of entrepreneurs and they're freaking out. They're like, you're doing it right now. And I'm like, no, we're all doing it right now. Go on the wherever, go call somebody, LinkedIn, prospecting, pick up the phone. And guess what? The first three calls are throwaway. I literally, when I do cold calls, throwaway. Not doing anymore. I have a whole team, but like, I used to love doing it because it was almost like, how quick could I get into the right headspace to like, almost like, you know, from the heels, right? It's the toes versus the heels. It's yeah, like, yeah. I, it takes me a while, right? Cause it's like, my buddy Keith said this, he said, uh, the key is to have a want with no desire, right? Like the key is to want something from the customer, but no need. There's no neediness. That's what it was. Have a want without uh, a need, right? Yeah. So it's like, how quick can you get through those calls to actually build the headspace to do the fourth call, the fifth call, the sixth? And then you're just like, today is dial for dollars day, right? And you just do it. Yeah. And you learn so much about yourself doing that. Like you were so terrified to make a cold call. Body heats up First 10 clients I ever got to get me up to like 15, 20 came out. It was all cold calling. I'm like, no, 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 hang up. No answer, no answer, no answer. Probably like, yeah, so no by the office. Perfect. Yeah. I knew once I got in the office, I could close them. But it was just like yeah. working that muscle um, and work on that communication skill. Like if you can communicate, you can crush it in any industry, any business. When people come in, like, I don't really know what business I want to start. I'm like, just go get a sales job. Yeah. Just it's the best. Go get a sales I've job. People have been cut co-training. Yeah. They're like some of the best sales entrepreneurs ever. Yeah. And it, that's what it comes down to. If you can listen, we can communicate. You can grow a very successful business. Yeah. Most people don't listen. And that's a whole other part of it, right? Is they, they're waiting for the next thing to say and they just don't listen. And, you know, business owners pick up on that. Clients pick up on that. Customers oh, yeah. pick up on Commission that. Commission breath. When you know yeah. they're just like waiting to say the next it's day. It's so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. So you started that company and you were at 24. Yeah. Did you exit that company? I did. Yeah. 28. 28. So I became a millionaire when I was 27. Multi-millionaire. Yeah. Because like the company was very prompt. Yeah. And then after that, you just went back into its kind of same space. You were staying. You no, know, I tried. I tried to take some time off. I moved to San Francisco. I took like four months off, bought a, I was building a new house, bought a cottage on the water, boat, all that stuff. I was 28. Like I lived, I lived life. Yeah. Like, fuck. like really enjoyed myself. Um, were you staying sober during this time? No, I started drinking. Okay. I haven't drank in 10 years. So right. Like, I knew that you've been sober for a long time. Yeah. So, but yeah. I definitely uh, allowed myself to start drinking again, which was a bad decision. I know, obviously I know better, but so like went through this cycle of like, I was like, cause I, I was like, the, um, in a small town in Eastern Canada where I grew up, like I was the poster child, right? I was 24, sold at 28, won the entrepreneurship award for the whole Canada, like BBC, the bank, like, um, and then I was like, if I don't do something with my life, I'm going to wake up at 40 and be like that whole man with the young girls on a boat. Like I could see myself. There was this guy named Norm in our hometown growing up that was that guy. I was like, yeah, I, can't be I don't norm. want him to Norm. I'm good. <laughs> norm is Norm. There's one Norm. He should be Norm. I'm going to move. And that's why I just literally woke up. Like in the middle of all that, I moved to San Francisco. Didn't know a person and have a friend. Like literally all my stuff was East Coast, big business. Right. I stopped not kind of this consumer type software stuff. 
on sabbatical and I literally didn't want to work, didn't want to start anything else. And I think I lasted probably nine months, 10 months, 12 months. And then I found, I was building a bunch of stuff. I had a full-time CTO, Scott, working for me. And we were just like, he was like my uh, prototype guy. So I'd have like crazy ideas like, hey, could you get the location data on Instagram photos and put it on Google Maps? And like, let's see photos pop up in real time. Like, I wonder what that looks like. Or is there a way to use LinkedIn for, or Twitter for LinkedIn? Like, what if I could find out everybody that follows me that the person I want to connect with, they follow that person. Like, if you followed me and I want to connect to my buddy Keith, and I could find out that Keith follows you, but I don't follow you, then I could go chance. It looks like you know Keith because he follows you. Could you make an introduction? So I built this thing called Twintersect that I would use for massive network. Wow. Dude, I would get access to every CEO, no problem. Because I would find people that were following me that I wasn't following means I don't know them. And the people I wanted to connect with followed them. So I would just like, literally, I met a guy and I was like, hey, dude, I don't know why. Why does this guy, oh, I used to work there. Do you, do you want to make an introduction? Love to. And I would just do that all day long and just like, so when I started my second company, Flowtown, uh, with my co-founder, Ethan, we had this like technology stack. And that's what happened was, is I was, I was advising and investing in a bunch of companies. Um, cause I do a ton of it. I probably, yeah, I'm at like 60 plus angel investment now. And like, now I'm a big fund. And, but, uh, I, he, he saw this tech I built that was, um, there was another tool. So we built a bunch of different ones. One of them was, um, give me an email address and I would give you all the social data on that person. I would literally, we built this thing that would like scrape and aggregate and clean up data that would tell me if you gave me your, your email, I would tell you your Twitter account, your Facebook account, your LinkedIn, your, your Flickr, your effort, like literally. Wow. Yeah. There was like 75 social networks. What year is this? This would have been 2009, 2009. So social media was just, and I built it because my brother was a home builder. It was like, my customers are known on social media. I'm like, bro, some of them are, and all of them will. Like, I get it. You're like, right. oh, they're not on Facebook. Some of them are not, but a lot of them are. And I was like, you have your email as he was using Infusionsoft. I was like, give me your email address. And I built this thing with Scott. I said, here's how I think you should architect it. And then I was like, here they are. So like, well, that's cool. What do I do with that? And I'm like, we'll build a campaign. Right. Like, now that you know they're on there, send the one that's like everybody on Facebook, follow our fan page. Everybody on Twitter, follow our Twitter account. Like you have these social media accounts, but you're not doing anything with them. And your customers, like, you just want to be around them. So you want to be omnipresent. Right. So. I built this thing and then I gave it to Ethan because he was like, dude, this is super cool. It's like, you should build a company around this. I'm like, I'm, I'm on sabbatical. I don't want to start anything. And he's like, can I have it? I'm like, yes. I told Scott, give it to him. I introduced him to this other guy, David, the engineer. I was like, David, Ethan, you guys should go build this. And uh, I think I might have gave him like seven, five grand and like startup capital. And, but just like, go do it. And then he like got it to run profitable crap. And then he's like, I want to raise money but I have no credibility. I need Dan. And I remember the night he like cornered me at a party, like a startup party. And he's like, <laughs> sells me on being, this is his terminology. And this is, he's, he's an odd, we're like best friends still to this day. Cause, cause he was like, uh, nine years younger than me. He was like working at this financial startup. And then I just gave him his code and he like left this day. He's like, I would be 31, maybe he would have been 26, 25 kind of thing. So he was, and, uh, he goes, I want you to do my, he goes, don't worry. It's, don't have to do anything, but I just need to be able to say you're my co-founder. I was like, that's crazy. He goes, no, 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 you'll be my non-employee co-founder. What the heck is a non-employee co-founder? <laughs> like, I never heard of a term, but I was kind of like, like, like I, was I'm in, I'm in. I was like, all right. And dude, we end up raising a million dollars within 20 days. So it was 
Because like in the Valley, it's not normal to actually monetize, like to make money. Like it's normal to like build technology and then raise a bunch of money and then just try to get distribution. And we were very, you know, product revenue focused, marketing focused. Like Ethan had taught himself how to do AdWords and we had done some partnerships with like, this is where I met all the uh, internet guys. So um, David, who's the David D'Angelo guy? Um, Evan Pagan. Yeah. So Evan Pagan. Hellman, back in the day, this guy ran across thing, Ryan Dice, because we had this email tool, uh, Frank Kern, yeah. like all the, all the OGs, anybody that had an email list. So one of them heard about it and then told, you to buy all your social media people, you build these campaigns, just upload your email list. And we were charging like five cents a lookup with an email. Um, and then we built campaigning stuff. So he got it. He had to run profitable, raise the money. And then we built this big venture back company together. And it was, it was awesome. But yeah, that, la that lasted two and a half years. And then we sold it to a company called Reinforce. And I don't know, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I wasn't looking to exit, but I was excited because Ethan got to exit. He now was wealthy. Like it was kind of awesome to help. That was like the first time I'd made somebody else that wealthy. And I was like, oh, this is fun. Right. And, and truthfully, he did all the work. He was CEO. I was, I, I went from nine employee co-founder to like leading business development and, and marketing. Right. And like, now I see what's going on. Now, yeah, now yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's working now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's, I think that was where I, even my book, Buy Back Your Time, like that was when I first started to understand the value of hiring somebody that could, you could build a company behind. Right. And like that idea of like, oh, okay, I can get massive leverage if I'm willing to buy back my time. And at that point, I was like, Ethan, you're CEO, deal with HR and the hiring, the recruiting, all that stuff. I'll do marketing and biz dev maybe. And like, you do a product and engineering, all that stuff. And it's like, it was awesome. Cause he was like, he was loving it because he was learning, but I've been doing it at that point since I was 17, I was 30 something. I was like, I'm good. I don't need to learn. There's nothing for me to learn at that level. Right. But yeah, that was, that was flow town. And then I lasted three months and I started Clarity.fm, which was the largest marketplace for entrepreneurs via advice over the phone. That was another crazy idea that I just couldn't sleep on. And uh, ended up raising almost $2 million, Mark Cuban and a bunch of people, like network, right? And yeah, then yeah. After Effects. Yeah, and then exited that in 2014. So, yeah. It's weird for me to tell this stuff to like people like, you sold companies? Like, I don't even care. Like, I, it's not that I don't care. Um, for in the last 12 months, we've helped 65 of my clients exit their companies. Okay. We wow. probably had $3 billion worth of enterprise value, right? Cause like a lot of my clients are exiting for nine. You know, the multiples in software, like yeah, if you're at 10 million error, it's a hundred million, right? Yeah. Yeah. Revenue retention. I know I'm going to lose people. When I see that term, but, um, this is just what I do, right? I don't do anything else. I do software. I do bootstrap software founders. Uh, Alex from Hyros just exited. I was yeah. the coach. Like uh, a lot of people know Layla and Alex Ramosi. I coached them with their product, Alan, right? Like, and he has this great video where he's like, you shouldn't do software. If you actually ask him, he's like, well, I'm talking about for most info guys that don't know what they're doing. Right. Oh, you know? it's like, <laughs> yeah. Cause like, well, Alex, your title was pretty specific, but um, I, I share that because like, to me, that's just like normal. It, it was kind of like, I think people, I hope that, you know, building businesses and being successful becomes the norm for them. Yeah. Because they have the reps, right? Like I could, I could start and I'm doing it right now with this AI stuff. I'll show it to you. I can go from idea, team, capital raise, probably traction. If I wanted to exit early, exit in 12 months with not a lot of time involved because it's just phone calls. Right. 
call the lawyers, call the engine, my headhunter game. Like it's literally like once you get going, you have the ability to create, like the fun was literally a conversation between me and Kevin. I already knew this other, uh, this one investor wanted to put 60 million in my deals. So I just like Kevin, boom, put it together, raise the rest. And now it's a hundred million dollar fund to buy and hold companies. Like, yeah. Well, that's like what we we're saying earlier. It's like staying in your lane. Like you really understand that process. There's software. nobody in the world. Like you, I know that for a fact. Yeah. Because if they exist, to be friends with them. Right. And we would be best friends, but they don't because what I do is very unique. I am a programmer, but I think it's neural nets. Like I can go deep into the uh, language models. If you want at that level, I can talk very high level strategy. I'm very good at marketing sales. So I ask great questions for people like you. And I also have the benefit of him. I taught myself how to communicate on stage. Like people see me today and you're like, oh, you're such a good salesperson and speaker. It's like, I used to be an introverted geek writing code till three in the morning. So if you, I don't know if you don't believe in growth mindset, I don't know what else to say. Like, right. it's literally just a decision that whatever belief you have is just not true. My buddy Keith, we were driving over here and he said something. He's like, I don't believe that. Cancel, no thank you. And I was like, I like that. It's just canceled, no thank you. It, yeah. It's I out, said something yeah. that is not true. It's a limiting belief. And it's like painful. No right. And I think people just got sensitive to what do you like? This is the biggest thing for people to understand is what do you believe in? It just simply isn't true. For majority of people, it's everybody, everybody including yeah. me, including yeah. you. There's yeah. things that if you, we sat down and said, what are your beliefs? Is it really? No, there's no like. You can't yeah. take it at faith value. Like you have to actually go deeper, right? You got to go deep in the subconscious. What would what, be true? Why do I even believe this? Who told me this? Was it truth? Was it then just kind of off the cuff? Tell me some BS. And for some reason, you indoctrinated it inside of your subconscious. When you start really start to pay attention to that stuff and create a stronger filter, it's where you really start to kind of get out of the fog. You know, because a lot of the limiting belief, like, oh, it's in my DNA. I'm always going to be obese. Like, actually, it's not true. 70% of your DNA can be changed through diet and all these other things. So that's every tier, every two years, you were not even the same biological cell structure as you were two years. You shed it all like a snake, essentially. All gone. All gone. That none of that exists anymore. So who are you? Who are you? Yeah. It's powerful. Dude, it's just especially hearing your story about where you came from. Like you should have died multiple times. You should still be locked in prison. You should still all these things should still be a part of you. Institution. And it's not a completely different person. I wouldn't even know that about you know the person that I know today. Dude, if you meet my dad, he still laughs. We can't believe it. Yeah. He, 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 he comes to my events now because he loves, he loves it. He's in this thick bit, my dad, you know, like when you're the guy on stage and your dad's in the room, they treat you like roads. Yeah. Like my dad comes to my events and he holds core because people are just like asking and I let him, I'm like, tell them all the crazy stories and he will. Right. And I love it because I just, I want, I can't have people see like, oh yeah, but you're Dan. No, 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 no. Go ask. Go talk to yeah. yeah, go go ask Bitbick about Daniel. <laughs> okay, you will gladly open up and confirm and embarrass the crap out of me. But it's just it's just true, and I just I just think that like it's one of the coolest things about living in this this world is that if you're willing to show up and do the work, anything truly is possible. Like me and my buddies laugh about this all the time. Like one of our friends just bought like twenty six million dollar home, and he's a teacher. 12 years prior, he was a school teacher. Wow. And, and then when it closed, it was like, this is crazy. It actually works. Like literally it was, it's just this sense of awe of like, 
oh, this is real. Thinking grow rich. This is real. Like these are, these are all things that are available to anybody. So willing to show up and do the work. Like I believe this and I, and my philosophy is I never give up on people. Like my mom is still struggling. I show up and they're like, yeah, dang, you really think she's ever going to get healthy? I'm like, yeah. Like, this is crazy. She's like 71. I don't care. I know 76 year olds that do Ironman. Yeah. And I know my mom statistically is probably not going to ever be able to do a 5k, but it doesn't matter. Like, I'm just going to hold that belief. And I think that's a really cool thing to know that we get to choose. I get to choose. I get to choose what beliefs and focus and all that stuff. And, and whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Right. It's just a game. It's just a game. It's just a game. Show up and play. Learn to play. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And that's the thing, especially like this day and age with the internet and the, how much free information is out there and how many systems are out there. Like if you just go looking for it and you dedicate to it, like you have all the tools you need to be successful. Show up. Just show up. And, and it's be funny. Consistent. Yeah. And not, don't look for the quick, get rich quick thing. Cause that, that's the big thing that burns a lot of people. Yeah. It's, it's look for the, the thing that you're willing to dedicate a decade to. That's my rule. I don't start companies unless I go world-class. I don't want to be in business unless I can create a world-class company, not get enough for my country. I want literally who are the top three in the world. Do we have a shot? And if that's the conversation, cool. And two, minimum 10 year commitment. Everybody at the table, if you're willing to give 10 years, I did, I started my YouTube channel seven and a half years ago and I made a commitment for 10 years. I will publish every Monday and never miss a Monday. Ember. And I think if people actually just, cause it's not crazy. Like it's not like the rest of your life. It's just 10 years, 10 years. 22, 32, like teach. Are you willing to just dedicate yourself to any? They're like, what if I choose the wrong thing? My part is it doesn't matter. Like, this is what's crazy. It didn't matter for me if it was programming or my brother, real estate or my other buddy marketing or you like, it's just, are you willing to dedicate yourself to an outcome? And I guarantee, because I've seen it happen thousands of times, it will all work out 100%. But it won't if you keep That's the thing with Chinese Ball Syndrome, who was like, oh, I got to go over here and it didn't work immediately. So now I'm going to go back over here and just bouncing all over the place. It's like, there's so many times for it's us. like changing kind of instruments. Imagine if you're like, I want to learn the guitar, then the mandarin, right. then the cello, then the violin. It's like, yeah, you're not a musician because every six weeks you're changing instruments. 100%. How would you learn how to play the guitar? And just that. That's I guarantee it. if you did 10 years of just hitting straw, I don't know how to play guitar, like probably going to be able to play the guitar. Yeah. That's business to its lead. Awesome. So now you have your SaaS agency or your SaaS education platform, SaaS Academy. Is yeah. That's SaaSAcademy.com. Yeah. So who are the ideal people that are coming through that? As people like building their SaaS platforms up from the bottom, are you coming in with that or building with them? Like what's kind of the, it's very, very, very specific and completely narrow me. Yeah. We only work with software entrepreneurs to have a product that they're selling, that they built, they can change the code that um, is revenue generating. So on the low end, we have our accelerator, which is like a thousand a month to 10,000 a month of reaffirmed revenue. And then we have our academy and then we have our boardroom. Boardroom is like kind of like my private group of folks where you, it's like a, called belt buckles and bank accounts. Your belt buckles not allowed to go up, your bank account can't go down. Okay. Like it's just <laughs> keep it really that. simple for people. I love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the largest, we have a thousand active CEOs that we coach. It's the largest in the world. It's, I think it's one of the most powerful coaching, I know you guys are coaching, but like we treat it like a software company. So we have dedicated account managers and coaches and our retention's off the wall. And it's like a multi-year program. It's really like, 
if you want a place where you can learn from and have peer group of people that are CEOs of software companies, that's what we do. But I actually, so like I'm the CEO of that company, but it's actually run by my business partners. So I pretty much spent my time between that and then my new fund that I just announced. So I had a million dollar fund. We're going to buy about 12 companies. We have about half a billion dollars in purchasing power with debt. So like that's a big uh, focus of mine. And then I got my personal wearing book and like, that's a new thing where I'm in the middle of hiring a CEO right now to just, again, do what I do with Ethan and many other times, just like hire a CEO, build the team underneath them to like support that stuff. Like all I know is I'm happiest when I'm doing, I'm happiest when I'm talking to other entrepreneurs inspire me. I'm happiest when I'm traveling around with my family and my friends and we're learning to do stuff and we're pushing the envelope and we're trying to be like the best of the best. Like even my video on it for Sam, it's like, I don't want to, I want to, I want to teach. I, I was like, dude, one day Mr. Beast is going to call us. Love that. He's just going to call us. Cause we did this thing that he's like, oh, that's creative. I want to ask those guys how they're doing that. Mm -hmm. So like, please, again, world-class, please let's aim for that. Let's, let's do these things that are, that are different. And so like, to me, that's like, um, that's what I do. And like Steve Jobs talked about the top one. And I talked about it in my book because in the book, uh, I learned this a long time ago, Steve Jobs at Apple identified a hundred people that if he had to start over again, he would leave with, okay? And these are account managers and marketing people and coders and designers and whatever. And every quarter he would bring the half moon day up in outside of Cupertino and he would do an offsite with them. And it was almost like his way of like coaching them and, and, you know, showing them and like giving them visions of whatever. And turned out he had to do that. He kicked out and started next. And literally those hundred people went to them. That's kind of how I looked at my life. Okay. All of the business partners I have, they're part of the hundred I'm building because I know that those hundred, there's zero I can't do in the world. Yeah. Zero. Like, Powerful. Zero. I get those hundred CEOs, business partners, executors, top sales people and marketers and engineers and AI programmers and online coaches and whatever it is. My writing partner, he's one of my top ones. Jesus, awesome. So I just, boom, I'm just like going through the world, trying to find these people, creating economic environments where it's, it's win-win and then just pouring into them. That's, that's what I do. That's really what I do. And I just happen to own a bunch of them. That's powerful. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so, you know, I've been doing the same thing with abundance and living into that. Cause this is what I love doing. I'll be on the podcast, working on my book. And Brian Tanina said to me, he goes, I'm media. I'm media. We, yeah, he was there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just media. I just, I want to wake up and just be media. It's so much fun. Yeah. And yeah, when we got to move CEOs into abundance and then a CEO into MM as well and into each of the components of abundance, really been able to free me up to start doing more of this. Now that those businesses are operating at a higher level because we have engineers that are in there like running systems, not me. Like finding those people that that's their son of abundance allows me. Totally. To do that. The operators versus the pioneers. Yeah. Different people. hundred. We're pioneers. Give us a problem. We'll go solve it. But once we know how to solve it. I'm bored. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Yeah. I figured out. Now I'm going to start deteriorating. Yeah. 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 If you leave me here too long, we get our burning stuff. Yeah. It's a very important awareness. Big time. Yes. And before we wrap up, I do want to talk about your book by your time back. Give us like the clip about. 
give us some breakdown. Give us some gold nugget. People are still going to read it, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so go find it. It's buybackforyourtime.com. It's a blue book and it's a uh, number two Wall Street Journal bestseller. Oh, 26,000 copies in the first six weeks. It continues to sell incredibly well. I expected nobody to read it. I know I wrote it. I was proud of it. Two and a half years of just putting my soul into it. Literally answering the questions I've been answering for 15 years as an investor to the CEO is to my coaching clients. And I never had anything. If you were a software CEO, I had nothing for you. Like that's just the reality. I don't, I don't sell anything else. I don't do anything else. So I wrote down 25 people's names that I love, business owner, friends, family members, and I wrote a book for them. And it is this philosophy called the buyback principle, which is we don't hire people to grow our companies. We hire people to buy back our time. Because if you do the second, you get the first, but if you do the first, you definitely don't get the second. And it's a calendar versus capacity problem. And I teach people, I literally broke down each chapter build on itself with some very, very moving stories that are all based on these 25 people around what is your time worth? You know, what does it mean to be a time trader and who in the world you admire that are actually world-class time traders? You don't even know that's a thing, right? And then... If I were to, to quantify the value of my time and then figure out like how, how do I figure out what do I buy back? And I, I created this framework called buyback loops that I've been teaching forever. And it's the audit transfer fit, right? Like how do I audit my calendar, but not just for your time, for energy, right? Like, so it's, there's some of these nuances that you've never heard before. And I've read 1500 business books. I've read, you named the checklist manifesto to getting, getting shit and getting stuff done. David Allen, been to his seminars to email, like all the books on productivity, all the books on uh, time management, all the books on like, I read them all, but none of them gave the, the sequence and, 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 um, order to do it right. Based on the buyback principle, based on the replacement ladder, based on all these models that I teach in the book to allow you to build a business. You don't grow to hate. That's the problem I want to solve in the world. I don't want you to build a business that you grow to hate because you hating your business is the number one killer of companies. It's not the market. Yeah, it's not. It's you built it in a way that it sucks your energy. It's toxic to your relationships. Yes. It's not delivering the fate it was supposed to promise you. So I don't care if you're a nine figure CEO that's financially successful. But you're you're 10 seconds away from a burnout or your wife's about to leave you or you're a horrible father. Get this book. If you're starting off and you're a podcaster and you're like, I got more time than anything, get this book because it will give you, as you start building the structure to make sure that you don't run yourself into a wall because that is the norm. That, that's why I wrote this book to solve that problem in the world. Niche specific. hundred percent. Well, love it, man. Now I just got a copy of it. So I'm really excited to dive into it. I was like, yeah, I, love it. I just want to talk to you first. Give me all the good. Get me yeah. excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll dive in. in. Uh, so looking forward to that and they can get on your website too, right? Yeah. Buybackyourtime.com is where you get the book. Instagram, uh, Dan Martell, 12 Martell is where you can follow me. I'm on TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, all the social, look at a lot of content. You do. The team does. Appreciate them big time. And, uh, and I'm going to ramp it up. Like I'm, I'm now in this new media mode and I was inspired from Vegas with like 13 videographers. Like just everybody's around. It's like, how many clips per day do you do? And how do you do this? And I'm just like. Let's, let's, let's go. Yeah. Let's do this. There's levels and I, I want to be in the top. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, dabble anymore. Sam, I'm right there with you. Yeah, cool. Dan, thanks for coming out, man. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to all the appreciate you, man. awesome things that we're going to be doing together in the future. And, uh, go check out his books. Weeks or. Oh yeah. 
None. We're always like serving like that. You're, you're born meeting. You're just people bro. don't realize when you're in business that you should be having yes. that born meeting. Yes, that yeah. were me. And you're just straight north of me by. I know. I'm going to get on a plane, just come straight down. To there we go. Straight as the, you know. Oh, you guys have an airport where you live? Yeah. The little one? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. I'll just come in. Yeah. We have uh, in McCall, you can, you know, people are landing their PJs there all the time. And then we actually have a uh, backcountry airship right out in front of our cabin. We have like eight pilots in our community, so I'm going to fly a little bit. But all right. So if you got a little cesta, on you, just like, <laughs> I mean, living yeah. right in front of my door. Cessas don't make me feel safe, so I try to stay away from them. Usually not uh, pressurized, so I usually get like, yeah. Well, take your you can take your jet to McCall, and then I'll come take you out. Cool, cool, man. Thanks again, brother. Appreciate it, bro. All right, thanks, guys, for tuning another abundance podcast here at the Beach Houses with the first of many. You can probably hear the crows and the uh, waves in the background. It just adds to the ambiance. It does. It's authentic. Yeah, keeps people in the zone. Flow state. Cool, bro. Thanks, man. Cheers. Here we go. Peace.